don't have to like everything we say. You don't have to listen to us. Well, I finally get asked the question, and here it goes. Dear Shammer slash Brian, I wanted to know if you've ever done or considered to do anything about motivational speaking or leadership speaking or talking to large groups. I see a lot of veterans and former government people do that. Sometimes I don't think they realize they're being motivational speakers, but if you haven't done that, can you do it, or can you share with us some of your insights or wisdoms or whatever sayings you think are great that might help us? I can do that, and I will. We'll talk a little bit about motivation. It actually is part of this concept in a certain aspect, especially when it comes to things like meditation, but we will take a look at that. And just remember, you asked, so you may not like it, but Motivational Monday, that's what we're going to talk about right here on Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight. way to look at this is why it's important is one of the things I learned about a lot of it on my own, but there was some discussions about our mental state and our mindset in the job, especially in the Intel field. It is my opinion. I know this is not true for everybody because there's some people that are definitely not the people I would even want working with me as far as their personality types that did great at it. But more and more people that are more objective overall in all things, people that are more I would call it amoral compared to cultural standards and not just your culture, almost any culture. Those that choose to look and understand things a certain way, try to see things from other point of view without using emotional intelligence to do it, although emotional intelligence is important. And a few other factors like that I thought were pretty good at the job. And part of getting there for some people is meditation or mindfulness. There are other things they would do, even if it was just working out to exhaustion to keep uh, their brain in check and in balance. So it depends on, on how you do it. Motivation can be part of it. Uh, I saw people that would listen to motivational talks or had some almost philosophical things to say that were important that helped them keep that mindset. And sometimes these sayings help us. We hear sayings sometimes. You know, you see them on the internet all the time. Usually they're people just trying to advertise their own stuff. But we see cool sayings or funny statements, and sometimes people are like, yeah, this really hit me right in the heart or hit me in the feels, as they say, or this really spoke to me or this really helped me with something. And maybe this will help you with something, but maybe you're just looking for entertainment value. But some things I've learned, some things I've had a hard time with, but some of these things are important. The first one is simply that you should probably stop looking for motivation in other people and just do the fucking work. Now, while that sounds like I'm criticizing you, that's actually a statement that I like. Here's why. Andrew Huberman even talks about this, but he's not the only neuroscientist that does it. 
there's a thing people get a reward center in the brain, which I'm sure by now you figured out. I really like understanding how the brain works and stuff has helped me a lot on this job, but you know, knowing all the little aspects and scientific parts of it, I just glossed over it. I was looking more for the understanding of how things work, but part of it's this, there are people out there, maybe even you, that get a lot of satisfaction from say, completing a list, having a list, checking things off, seeing progress that way. That's to speak to the fact that there's a way in which we see progress that we see as a benefit that helps us out. And for some people it's, it's lists for me. It's not, I could care less. If I even make a list it's to make sure I don't forget something. Cause I know there's so much going on in a certain span of time that there's a possibility I will gloss something over. And sometimes it's for things that I know I have this one thing, like a box packed the way I want it, but I'm not going to get in there that much. So that way, when I get the list, I can see it. I can see what's in there and I can change it if I need to, but I don't get satisfaction out of it. I don't get a lot of sex effects. You're not completing things. In fact, I'm a kind of guy that'll start a lot of things and not finish them when it comes to projects only because some of the projects for me are never meant to be finished. It's about the process. I have started projects where I wanted to learn how to do something. Like when I used to work with wood, it was, I want to learn how to do this. So I never really finished making something. I just wanted to learn how to use this tool. So I made a few cuts or I wanted to learn how to sand better. So I'd get a piece of wood and sand it until it was all like almost glass. I would, I would do things like that. And I just never got satisfaction out of completing the build of something. If that wasn't the purpose, that's just me. But I do know, and this is where that statement comes into there's things we don't want to do, but things we even hate sometimes, things that might even bring us dread, things that we've been procrastinating on, and maybe eventually, finally, we just get up off our ass and go do it. The reason why that's important and just doing the work is you can look for motivation wherever you want. You can create your own. You can listen to other people, but if you find yourself finding all these cool statements and writing them down, but it's not causing you to do anything, then it's not really motivation. But motivation sometimes comes through the process of doing, whereas a lot of people look for it as the catalyst to start doing. So that thing you're procrastinating or you're hating doing, it just needs to get done. Just go out and do it no matter how miserable the conditions are. And there are times when through that process of knocking that thing out, you will get that sense of reward, even though you don't get it in any other way, any other time. I've seen it with me, but part of the process for that in the brain is because there's things like that, that for People like me that you may be like that only happens that one time, whereas other people might every time they check something off the list. Part of what happens in our brain is we get that reward from completing that project. So you may not get it from every little thing, but you might find yourself getting it from that one thing. You've definitely been procrastinating. You should definitely look into that and see if that's causing you some bit of satisfaction. And then you know that it works. Another thing, especially in today's world, it's... We saw it coming 20 years ago when Facebook was just starting, but it's all over now, especially with social media and younger generations. A lot of statistics and studies they do, but a big part of it is the low self-esteem, the depression, a lot of the ways people look at themselves, feel about themselves. A lot of these people, even like fitness people that say do Instagram or whatever, some of them might be coaches and trainers, but a lot of them are just trying to get the validation for looking good because, oh, they look good and they're healthy and they're in shape. Many of them still have the low self-esteem. They didn't gain the confidence that they thought they did. They gained the confidence to wear something, maybe, but they didn't gain the confidence that they were looking for because they don't know how to find it, so they need the validation. That's a huge thing. One of the ways to easily see that a lot is when you see somebody get criticized, criticized harshly or criticized too much. You know, the bigger YouTube channels will talk about it sometimes, about people that write things in the notes, you know, and that 
people are pretty harsh sometimes and it affects us a part of us the culture and things that we're around and see and influenced by and we don't realize how much we convince ourselves that other people's opinions matter we all have to take a different way to look at this and a different approach and figure out a different points in our lives but i'll tell you some things based on my experience one is when people talk about you or talk trash or whatever we would say like that or talk behind your back that you may or may not ever hear about which usually i mean unless you're a person i have no idea about and then you're talking to somebody else i've never know i wouldn't know that but for most of the times i eventually have always heard about it in the circles in which i travel and it's always the same type of people that do it but there's some things i learned for myself that you may find are for you one example is the people that do that that try to drag you down the reason they're trying to drag you down is they're trying to bring you to their level they're beneath you and i don't mean that in the condescending way like this person's beneath me i'm royalty i don't mean that usually the thing whatever the thing is they're criticizing you about is something that they're insecure about in themselves or failed at in themselves or something they're trying to copy from you, but not in the positive reasons because they think that they're better when they know that they're not and they're not succeeding. And so they go out of their way to target you and try to drag you down, whether it's directly or indirectly through somebody else or just whatever. And it's because they can't do what you're doing or they're not figuring it out. Instead of seeking help or building relationships the only way they can make themselves feel better about it is to make somebody else feel as bad or worse than they do. We say that all the time about when people pick on people and call them names and stuff, and there is some truth to that in, in many situations, but this is also very true. It just look at the people. When somebody's talking about somebody else, figure out why. Why are they doing it? What's the attitude behind it? What's the emotion? What are they really saying? Are they blaming the other person? Do they have the credentials to, to criticize that other person for what they're doing? Do they really have that same background? You know, and I've, I've seen it so many times, guys that tried to do what I was doing, whether it was in the military or after the military or wherever, and constantly would criticize. And I just thought every time I was just like, who is this guy? Like, I know the person, but I'm thinking, why, why would I, why would I care? Like, they're not succeeding. They're not able to do this. So how do they know what right is? Which goes to another statement to make you understand that even more is to realize that don't go to somebody for advice that you wouldn't take criticism from. So whether you want to look at it from taking criticism versus advice, advice versus criticism, look at that person. People all the time want to give us advice, even going back to like YouTube, for example, or comments. People want to send you comments or send other people comments. And we see this a lot. Or people want to give unsolicited advice. Sometimes they're family or friends, close people. A lot of times it's under their best intentions. Sometimes they're just controlling personalities. But when they give you the advice, even if it sounds good, the first question you have to ask yourself is, is this somebody to take criticism from? The other thing, too, is you got to think about every area and aspect that matters to you where you would take criticism and why. Because sometimes we seek it out, like you want to learn this new thing, so you find a school and go take a class or a YouTube channel to watch or a book to read or whatever, and you're trying to learn a new thing. And you keep going back to certain sources in the beginning because you find them credible and interesting and you're learning things from them. Maybe they're always a teacher to you. Maybe eventually that goes away because... You've got what you needed from them. But during that time, you're seeking them out. You're willing to take criticism and don't even realize it's criticism because there's somebody you're seeking advice from. But that's the thing. When it's like in relationships, people in your family want to criticize you for your relationships. And the first thing you ought to do is look at them and think to yourself, is their relationship one I'd want to model anyway? And if you don't think so, then you shouldn't take their criticism because you're not going to them for advice. If there's somebody you go to for advice and you want to understand and know certain things, then there's somebody you should be willing to take criticism from. And remember that because if you're seeking out advice and they give you criticism, no matter how painful it is to hear, 
don't get all angry and walk away because that's what you're asking for. Because a lot of times we don't realize that asking for advice is actually asking for criticism. Something else to look at too is money. The ways in which we spend or use money. And I'll put it into perspective by saying this. I like bookstores and I go to bookstores and I buy books and I read physical books and I have bookmarks. I even buy cool looking bookmarks sometime. But you know that's dumb. Because if a bookmark costs more than a dollar, you shouldn't buy it. You should just use your dollar bill as a bookmark. And take that idea and apply it to everything when you're thinking about why you're spending money on something and what it's for and what it's important is. doesn't mean it's dumb to buy the bookmark. It might have a cool motivational saying. It might be something cute that you like. It might be part of your entertainment expense. But just remember that in general. That's a very similar way we've talked about things when I was younger and my parents or my mom was younger about you know going out to eat versus eating at home. But it's fun to do sometimes. But just remember that. You could use a dollar bill as a bookmark and that would be a lot cheaper and easier than just buying a bookmark. In the past, we used to talk about firearms and firearms training. I still get asked questions like that sometimes. I just typically don't answer them on here. And you see all kinds of stuff on the internet about how to train or what makes you arm people on their rights, Second Amendment rights, or whether or not a country should have these things or whatever. I'm all for it in the United States, but just remember that one of the statements I like is carrying a gun doesn't make you any more armed than carrying a guitar makes you a musician. There's training and responsibilities that come along with that. Just having it doesn't mean you're capable of using it or using it effectively. It doesn't make you a pro. You know, you could be in high school learning to play guitar, trying to play Hotel California and doing all the things kids do when they start to learn guitar. And you could come into some money and go buy a $5,000 Paul Reed Smith. And you know what? It's not going to sound like one because you're not at the level to play it. Not saying you shouldn't buy one, but you're not at the level to play or appreciate or understand how to use it. So in the same way, having more expensive tools or toys doesn't make you any better than using them. Skills defeat objects all the time. You know, survivalists, I think any good survivalist would tell you that with the right knowledge and training, having just a knife or just a hatchet, depending on which one they want, they should be able to walk off the woods and live just fine. If they have the knowledge, everything's there for them, and history has shown us that based on how people live from primitive times to Native Americans even some people today in different parts of the world. Knowledge is far more important than toys. This is exactly why I say like people who want to start being preppers or preparing or just having extra items for that emergency or the tornado or the hurricane is that one of your most important items is a library, even if it's just one really good book that you start with because you're going to learn from it. It's going to give you things to do, knowledge to have. Think you might be able to carry that around. It's like people that want to learn survival, bushcraft, or even go camping. I'm like, that's all great and everything. But there's plenty of good books out there. And some of them are made of really great tear-proof, waterproof material. And I was like, the point is, just get one you can carry around, even if it's in your car, so that you have a reference when you're doing it. You can't be expected to remember anything. The smartest people I know in different fields are surrounded by books on those subjects because they know they can't remember all that information. Like in my office, when I first started this podcast, people used to a long time ago look at the books I had, although I had more they couldn't see, but I had a lot of notebooks from my time going through training and learning all the stuff that I would reference. You know, one of the things they talk about in investing is about taking risk. Risk can get you great rewards, and it can. So bigger risk can get you bigger rewards, but it can also get you bigger losses, and we all know this. That's why we don't take a lot of risk in our lives. The thing is, risk is important to take, especially for a man. And I, I don't mean anything against women, but a lot of the stuff I tell men. 
Risk is important. It shows us what we're capable of, what we can achieve, even if there's luck involved. It helps us find the people and identify those that are going to help us or support us or cheer us on along the way when we need that. It's also understanding that you don't have to tell anybody what the risk is and you don't need their acceptance on it or their understanding. You don't need their belief in you. You don't need them to tell you whether or not they think it's a risk. It's whether or not it's a risk to you. There's people that take risks all the time that are very small things and they don't talk about them because they're embarrassed that it is a risk. Then don't talk about it, but you don't have to be embarrassed. Be happy that you surpassed that risk and you saw what you could do with it and then you can move on and take another one on at another time. There's all kinds of risks. There's things every day that are simple to others and we know it, but to us to do it feels like that first time as a kid staring down at the swimming pool when we're about to learn to swim and we still have that fear because we haven't been in the water that much and we know what's about to happen because we know what we can't do or at least we think we know what we can't do. We don't think about how much we actually could learn and accomplish. So another thing to look at with that is whether it's risk or not is understanding how to measure success. And there's all kinds of metrics people create for us and ones we even create for ourselves. And some of those things are not metrics of success, they're goals. A goal may be one way you measure success, but there's other ways to measure it. And the thing is, it's up to you. It's not up to other people to tell you what success is. And all it is, is making an acceptable amount of progress in a reasonable amount of time. So what would you consider acceptable amount of progress? And what would you consider reasonable amount of time to achieve that? And then after that, the only thing you have to look at, and that's not an, and only in some things, is whether or not that's even healthy. So for example, everybody wants to lose weight fast, wants to lose weight. But science can tell you that losing it too fast can be very unhealthy, especially damaging to you in some ways. But you have to determine whether it's fitness or life goals or you know progress training your dog or working with kids or whatever your job is, what's an acceptable amount of progress? And then what's a reasonable time frame? From that is how we build our goals. And then that's how we measure our success. You know, one of the things people talk about sometimes is you only live once, YOLO. Or, you, you know, you can't take your money with you. Or, you you know, it's not that you only live once, you only die once, but you have a chance to live every day. Here's another way to look at it. What we'll do to explain my point is first go back in the past and look at 1924 some of the things that happened. There was a radio signal broadcast for the first time from the Royal Greenwich Observatory, a radio signal. I don't think there's too many people even listen to radio anymore. There's people, when I told them I was listening to AM while driving, wanted to know what it was. That was the first time a radio signal was sent. Look at what we've done with communications technology since then. You know, everybody hears about mass surveillance or thinks they know what that can do. Turn on the news right now and look at wars and things in Ukraine and what they're doing with drones. What can you do with your smartphone? Who can you call? The amount of information you can get. The cameras, what you can do with a camera on the phone. Ham radio, how far that's come just from the first radio signal. It's amazing the amount of progress that's been made in just a hundred years. Something else to look at if you remember history class or any of these phrases in 1924, the 407-year-old Islamic Caliphate is abolished. Part of the Ottoman Empire Caliphate was deposed. It was the last regiment of a regime that gave way to the reformed Turkey, the country of Turkey that had been declared as a country just a few months prior in 1923. Here's something else looking at a famous person for 1924, Adolf Hitler. 
is sentenced to five years in Landsberg Prison for his participation in the 1923 Beer Hall Push and served about nine months, which, if you don't know what that is, was a failed coup attempt by the Nazi party, which eventually would gain power and he would become all those things we know him to have been. Also in 1924, the company Mercedes-Benz was formed by merging of two other companies. President Calvage Coolidge signed the Native American Act, I think that's what it was called, where an act, so a law that said all Native Americans are inherently United States citizens. There was also two army pilots that completed the first aerial circumnavigation of the globe in 175 days. Think about the capabilities of aircraft now and what we can do with that and travel times just in the air. This was also the time of the last documented known sighting of a grizzly bear in the state of California. Also in 1924, the country of Mongolia is proclaimed. After 315 years, the final raid against the Apache tribe happens, which brings a close to the longest war in America known as the Indian Wars. Now, while you can, of course, search and pick many things online to look for on any year and famous people born. There's a lot of stuff that happened, but these are some things I wanted to put in perspective when looking at today and what's going on to make a point. A couple things are in a hundred years to even be known to have a true legacy, you have to do something almost historically terrible beyond worse of anybody else just to have your name remembered or you have to change the world in a positive way, which so few people get a chance to do that. Now, there's a lot of places to look to get the numbers, but generally it looks like annual estimate of world population really doesn't start happening until a little bit after 1924, but it's estimated in 1927 the population was about 2 billion, a little bit, a little bit less than what we have now. So that is to say this, in 100 years, everybody you know or have seen on TV or in a movie will be dead and gone unless some major medical advances happen. All the money you have now, even if you're super wealthy and you're passing it off through generational whatevers, will be gone and spent. Maybe it makes more money somebody else can use down the line, but that's, that's a lot. You can watch documentaries for people that are rich for all different kinds of reasons from 100 years ago and see what happens to them. Watch the history show The Men Who Made America and read about some of the famous people like Astor and Carnegie or Rockefeller and some of the others and their wealth and what happened to it and the things that change that you can't foresee with time. In a hundred years, somebody might be doing something like a podcast, although I doubt they'll exist, and looking back and talking about things like the iPhone 15 and what it could do in 2024 when I was looking back and saying, yeah, for electronic communication, the first radio broadcast signal happened. So a lot of advancements are going to happen in technology. But the things that are remembered are somewhat technological advances, terrible things, or people that change the world. And that's a small cross-section of society. That should put into perspective about who we really are and what we're capable of doing. But also remind as an individual that we're not as important as we think, but we are important to certain people. The one thing that will last will be relationships, especially good ones. So make sure that you have good relationships, even if there's only a few. Things like money are nice to have, but they're not as important as having people to share your life with. And while there's some of us that may never get to do that or believe we have to sacrifice that for certain reasons and that might be the choice that we choose, it doesn't have to be your choice. But that's to say that at best, it's my personal opinion that everything about what I do is about making sure that I can be at peace and be happy and those around me that I can influence can do the same because 
I know very little about my grandparents and even less about those beyond them, and they're only from stories that get passed down. Even people who have done the research can't tell me much about people in my family tree from 100 years ago. So it's unlikely there's going to be much about you passed on. And we think about things like computers and stuff and the information they keep. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's the case. We thought the same thing with the typewriter. We sought the same thing with reading and writing. But then ask yourself this. If all that stuff about you really exists and your legacy is going to get passed down and people are going to look at you and see who you are in your family, what are they going to see? What are they going to find on your phone? What pictures are they going to see? Oh, yeah, our family's wealthy because our mom was a whore on OnlyFans. Just remember, eventually everybody's going to see who you truly are. That's also to say that whatever we're looking for, what we really need to survive is a lot less than we think we need. You can break that down to the basic survival principle. The rule of three is the last one being companionship. That can, like a companionship, can kill you. But to survive, we need companionship, water, shelter, food. We need a little bit of security. But we don't need Lamborghinis, although they can be fun. We don't need high-definition television, although it's nice to look at. I mean, I can tell you my own experience, and any dog lover can tell you this. My dog makes me happier than anything I own. So make sure you understand the difference between need and want. And when you make that longer list of things you want, the real question to ask What's the purpose? Why do I really want that? And then when you have that answer, are you using that answer to try to convince other people of your own personal decisions? Because that's not necessary. That means you're doing something wrong and lying to yourself. Or are you just asking that question to make sure that is something you really want or really need? And everything you do, the best decision you can ever make is to be the best at it. So that's to say this. Stop entertaining mediocrity, especially within yourself. You don't need to try to stand on a mountaintop and scream for everybody to look at you. Just be so good at what you're doing, people can't help but notice and they can't ignore you. But don't do it for that purpose. Do it because you don't want to entertain mediocrity and you want to have something you can be the best at no matter what it is. Pick that thing and go for it. And whether it works out or not, or if it's only for a short time in your life, move on to something else. If you want to do it for your whole life, that's great. But you're not required, nor can anybody require you to do any one thing any longer than you want to big part of this is looking at other people judge us and how we react to it, but it's also our job not to judge other people unless we are judges. That's just my opinion, but one of the things Voltaire said or is claimed to have said is that you should judge a man by his questions rather than by his answers. I don't know, maybe that's a quote I should put on this show for the way I talk about questions and answers and how I mess with people depending on what they say to me. But that is really more important. What's the question? What's the purpose? I say a lot, you're asking the wrong question. So what are the right questions? Judge somebody by their questions. You can learn a lot about a person and understand a lot about a person, their mindset and stuff, their thought process, their education level, a lot of things on any subject based on the questions they asked, not by the answers they give. And when people are discussing things and they're giving a lot of answers or statements and it sounds like the same crap everybody else is, but they're not really giving any questions or telling you what they're trying to learn or tell you to ask better questions about that specific subject, they're probably not the best teacher. And why is that? Because one of the best things that a teacher can do is we can learn by doing. That's part of being a teacher as well as being a student. I mean, we can learn together. Not everything's designed that way, but it can be done. So I personally prefer to have a question I don't know the answer to and say, I will find it for you. We'll find the answer together. 
than to spout off some garbage and pretend like that's a dumb question, you're a dumb person, or it's not important to hide the insecurity in fact that I don't know. As far as wisdom goes, what I learned growing up, and it's a statement I like, is wisdom is nothing more than the correct use of knowledge. One of the famous statements like that is knowing that knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. And I guess for wise statements, the last thing I'll say is this. Respect is just like gratuity, which is tipping, if you don't know what gratuity is. They're the same thing. They're earned. They are not owed. It is not an entitlement. It's like I've heard parents say things about what their kids owe them. You chose to have kids. They didn't choose to be born. So they don't owe you anything, but you do owe them everything. Again, just my opinion. And then moving on to leadership, I'll tell you this. So there's other things that's written in there, but part of it is about military leadership and, and people that discuss that. And there's a lot of great guys out there that discuss that stuff, especially the company. If you look at Echelon Front with Jocko and, and his buddy, whose name I always forget. And you can, you can follow them on Twitter. They got a website and all kinds of stuff. There's a lot of great places to get leadership advice. The military can be one, but it's not infallible. And this idea that that's the one place where you can learn everything is not true, but it is one place where you can get examples of everything good and bad. But when you're listening to people talk about leadership, especially in the military, I'll put it in perspective for you with a couple thoughts. One thing is the United States military is by far, without question, the easiest place to be a leader. Anybody that disagrees with that either was never a leader or was probably the worst one walking. The reason it's so easy is the followers have to. They are, they're essentially compelled. You know, one of the ways to look at this, I've used as examples with people in the past is, you know, there's a lot of things about a job, even a, a simple job like flipping burgers where maybe you get rode up if you're late enough. But, I mean, it takes a lot to fire you, and then there's all these things that can be brought up about firing you, and people don't get held to certain standards. And while the military has gone a lot that way with a lot of bad leadership problems and not enforcing regulations, the fact of the matter is being late to work just one time, typically it's going to be two, <laughs> just one time being a few minutes late can cost you your paycheck. It can cost you half your paycheck. You know, you could, depending on your reaction to that situation, if you really screw up, you could go to jail for being late to work. People are aware of this even they don't see it. And when people are punished, especially through non-judicial punishment, there's every legal right to post that information. I think they hide their personal data, but they put it up there. Everybody knows who it is, and it gives the reading of the information on what we call an Article 15 and tells them what happened and the punishment they got for it. Like, imagine being late to work, and your punishment is you still got to work your 40 hours, right? But here's what's going to happen for the next month or six weeks of your 40 hours. You're going to live at work. You don't get to go home. Your family can come here and visit you. We'll tell you when they can visit you, but it's only going to be on Sunday. And it's only going to be for a couple of hours in this public area under supervision of your boss. And the rest of the time, after your 40 hours, you still have to work a full 12-hour day. And you're going to you're gonna do the job of the janitor. That's what you're going to do. And by the way, we're going to take half your money. And there's nothing you can do about it. Like, that's a big part of the compelling nature. The other thing too, is it's a salaried under contract job. So you can't just quit. I mean, 
there's ways you can say quit. I'm not going to do it. And then they can go through all this legal process and basically throw you in jail, kick you out. Things that for not wanting to do something one day are far worse to you and especially potentially rest of your life than just doing the work. But you can't just simply walk away. It's like being married, right? You can get divorced, but no matter how close you are to somebody living with them, loving whatever you do, you can just walk away at any moment and move out. Yeah, you can kind of do that in divorce, but you're still legally entangled. So it's one of the easiest places to be a leader. <laughs>